Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Todd Lebo, President and CEO of Majestic Steel USA, a national steel service center headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio, with locations across the U.S. Todd took the reins from his father in 2012 after working at the company for several years on supply chain management and innovation. Since then, Todd has taken aggressive measures to modernize the company to deliver steel to customers faster and cheaper, with the ultimate goal of bringing the U.S. steel industry into the digital revolution. As principal of Majestic Universe Ventures and Investments, Todd has stakes in several other companies, including Felix, a B2B marketplace and platform for the steel industry, Sozo Workwear, and a host of other real estate investment and hospitality firms. He studied business management and entrepreneurship at the University of Miami in Florida. Todd, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Catherine? Thanks for having me. When you joined the family business in steel distribution and processing, did you immediately set to work to transform the company? You know, you, you come into a family business and an established company and you have a lot of ideas of things that you want to do. And then you realize that, OK, you have to be you know, patient. But I definitely came in with that mindset. I mean, I went to school for business management entrepreneurship. I actually didn't think I was going to get involved in the steel business. But then I saw, you know, an opportunity to go into a great industry um, that has a lot of history and be able to bring you know, new ideas and thoughts to it. So uh, that was my vision um, in terms of coming into the business. Um, but obviously, you know, vision takes time. You got to be persistent and patient at the same time. What initial steps did you take? Yeah, first, I mean, really just a lot of asking questions and listening and understanding how things were done and challenging convention. Um, you know, obviously things were, were getting done um, and, and not necessarily broken, but I don't believe in if it's not broken, don't fix it. I believe in how can we make it better? And I think that's what innovation is about is making what's already done better and, you know, utilizing um, great people and, and, and investing in talent and technology to do that. So that was the idea is how do we learn from, you know, what was happening in the world around us and, and apply that to a more uh, traditional business. And then uh, from what I read, it seems as if you're taking a, a more global sense, you know, in, in regards to the tackling the 21st century supply chain and economy. So what role do you see Majestic Steel playing in that ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, Majestic sits in the middle of the supply chain. So our business model is distribution and value-add processing. You know, we're responsible for um, taking steel from the, the producers and then delivering that to diverse end uses and, and diverse geographies. And you think about how product is managed and product moves today um, across supply chains and especially the consumer world, there's been, you know, a ton of transformation, but not as much when you get into you know, the industrial space and, and specific to steel. So, you know, being a thought leader in terms of how we think about the business, how we think about um, managing the, the supply chain um, is is really um, the, the biggest differentiator. And, you know, utilizing technology today and um, bringing different thoughts to uh, a more traditional space. I mean, obviously, um, we have to make sure that we can deliver uh, product to our customers timely and, and service them, but how do we do things differently? Um, and there's also an expectation today um, amongst the next generation in terms of how they do things, right? I mean, we're all consumers. And so how we do things today in terms of um, the, the mobile environment and things at our fingertips, those tools are, are readily available, but not necessarily in, in more traditional industry. To that end, uh, you have uh, rolled out a, a number of technological services and, and products at uh, Majestic Steel to 
um, to meet customer needs. Uh, let's discuss one of your innovations, uh, Mike's. How does this inventory management system benefit customers? Yeah, I started in the business in inventory management. And what I realized quickly is one, there's not a lot of visibility. Um, and two, the key to forecasting is frequency. And, uh, you know, we're obviously in the middle of uh, probably one of the largest supply chain disruptions that we've experienced in, in the history of, of, of manufacturing and, and time. Um, and so, you know, having real-time visibility and to be able to be much more agile and, and uh, make decisions um, in a real-time environment is critical. And so the idea of MIKES, which is an acronym for Majestic Inventory Control System, is to provide tools to our customers to help them better manage their inventory. You know, whether it's within a plant location, maybe they have multiple plants, maybe those plants aren't on the same system. Maybe they have acquired companies and they manage manufacturing um, at a very localized level, but don't have the visibility into their uh, their data and, and demand forecasting. And so that's really what the solve is. It's how do we help them? And then from our perspective, it helps us manage the business better too. And so there's a lot of efficiency to be gained. I mean, when you think about the supply chain, there's a lot of inefficiency, um, unfortunately, just through, you know, years of, of, of um, evolution. I mean, the, the manufacturing sector, I mean, has gone through a, a lot over, you know, a hundred plus year, period. And, and now it's time to kind of think differently about what industrial innovation means and how you digitize that and how you use data and, and, and technology as a differentiator. And I know that's not the only service or product that, that you have rolled out. Uh, you've, um, you know, do, do you want to talk a little bit, little bit more about some of those other applications and portals? I mean, you have, you know, options that assess market trends, that track deliveries, you know, that, and even an online metals marketplace. Yeah, I mean, steel is our product and it's our currency, but in today's world, data and content is just as much of a currency as anything else. And so we've embedded really a tech company within our traditional business model where we have a team of, of engineers and product leads um, that are iterating and, and developing product on a daily basis. And so uh, when it comes to digital solutions, I mean, that's why you know we think of our business as a supply chain solution business. Um, you know, we, we provide solutions, what we deliver is steel to the customer. Um, and that's the tangible product that they need and they receive, um, but we're providing solutions to the market. So, you know, we've thought about it in terms of customer faces technology, which is our M hub um, portal, basically uh, online mobile banking for, for our business gives, uh, you know, full visibility into your purchase history, your orders, be able to release orders um, and be able to do that through uh, an application that they download. So it could be web or mobile, no different than we do all day, every day in our uh, consumer life. Um, from a content standpoint, we've launched uh, the core report and continue to push content to the market. Um, the steel market is a live market. It's a global market. Steel prices are moving. Uh, there's different variables that are driving that both on the supply and the demand side. And so it's important if it's a you know significant cost of uh, your good um, to understand that. I mean, you think about the influence of steel in the market in terms of automotive and construction and appliance and equipment and agriculture. A lot of people don't think about it, but steel was the first step to industrializing. So, you know, being able to give them insight into those trends, you know, we're usually the first to see um, demand pick up and the first to see that slow down and the first to see the movements because it's, you know, kind of like the first ingredient that goes into the, the manufacturing base. So, um, we're constantly looking at um, technology as a way to innovate and, and provide content to the market, um, use data as a, as a differentiator, and, and 
uh, ideally creating you know, more thread count and customer stickiness through that. And as an industry, as you know, well know, you know, in, uh, steel looms large. It is, it is, has been really a traditional industry. So, you know, what has been the impact of the innovations uh, that you've introduced? I mean, what what has been the response as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, coming out of the pandemic, more well received than ever. As you said, it's a traditional industry. Um, it's got a lot of history and, and for better and for worse, um, you know, it's been a, a really relationship driven business. And a lot of people get concerned that technology is going to replace relationships. And the reality is it doesn't, um, it should enhance them. It should accelerate them. Um, it should provide, you know, greater efficiency and, and greater transparency, um, and, and take some of the kind of manual process out of the equation so that the human element is, is relationship is strategy is critical thinking. Um, so it's been a behavior modification um, and, and some obviously are, are more um, open to receive it. I think we've seen more openness than, than ever and more adoption, which is great, um, especially at a time right now where people are looking for solutions. So uh, we continue to, to push forward and continue to see, you know, adoption and, and success with that. And um, we do believe that, you know, it's only going to continue to expand in terms of the, the interest for that um, because we're seeing you know next generation come into roles and um, they have more of an expectation of it right they've grown up um, doing these type of things where um, there's you know always uh, a, a decent amount of creature of habit um, the other thing is in the b2b space versus the b2c space you know in the consumer world you're getting that individual to change their behavior and they're making that decision on their own so going from taking a taxi or a car service to accepting Uber or Lyft um, is a very easy thing for that individual to decide. When you're starting to do this in the business world, you're messing with multiple people and, and their workflow process. So the buy-in needs to happen, um, not just at one point, at many points. Um, so you gotta really understand then all those different connection points um, and, and how you get adoption. So I think it's natural that we've seen transformation uh, by the consumer a lot faster than the B2B space and the industrial B2B space being the last of that. But I think there's a ton of opportunity for industrial innovation manufacturing by um, doing things like this. So, you know, we're excited about, you know, where this can go. Are there any notable turnarounds or wins from your clients that, that you could share, you know, an example of, of how you saw this transformation happen in, you know, in real time? Yeah, I mean, I'll give, you know, Mike's as an example. Um, we have one of our great customers that has multiple plants throughout the U.S. Those plants are on different systems. And um, they had a tough time managing their inventory and having good visibility into those plant locations. And it wasn't only our product that we were selling them. It was other vendors as well. And they were able to put all of their product through Mike's and not just us and other vendors as well. And now they have you know, better visibility into where they have inventory and what they need and when they need it so that they can be more efficient um, across their plant locations that are on different systems. And so, you know, that's went from a customer relationship to a true partnership. And that's the thing is like, you know, in, in this business, um, it's, you know, repeat business. And so you, you don't necessarily see um, changeover, you know, on a daily basis. So you, you really want to build a partnership mentality. So that's, you know, one success story of, of Mike's um, a lot of our customers um, have, you know, gone through major changes and challenges in terms of the steel market. And so helping them understand that. So by providing them market intelligence and, and content, 
um, to be able to understand that and also explain that to, you know, their leadership teams that maybe aren't as close to it. You know, if you think about it and steal as a percent of your cost of good um, and all of a sudden you've seen the market move like it has, how do you explain that to maybe, you know, a leadership team that is focused on the business, but not necessarily the steel cost. So how do we help them as an advisor uh, to be able to discuss those things? So it's, it's really taking a much more um, strategic approach to that. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier about the, um, you know, technology industry and, you know, and sort of the, you know, at least the consumer movement, you know, toward, um, you know, apps, you know, like, like what Uber uses, but, you know, are there, what, what are the lessons learned from the tech industry that manufacturers could adopt? Yeah, I think that the tech industry is always feeling like something's chasing it. So innovation is in their DNA. And they always are thinking about how they can improve, update, how they can create more stickiness with whoever is using their product um, beyond just relying on the traditional means of doing so. And if you think about it, a lot of these tech companies too, at some point, they like to convert to not just being a tech company where there's you know many traditional aspects of their business model as well. I mean, it's funny because we think of Amazon as a tech company, but they have distribution centers, they have logistics, and they have so much that goes into it, no different than we do in steel and majestic. Um, so they're just as much a distribution and supply chain and manufacturing model as they are um, a, a tech company. It just happens to be that they started with technology versus we started with, you know, a distribution center and physical steel and processing, um, but not the technology side. So, I, you know, my opinion is um, as a traditional company, we need to learn from them in terms of customer service, consumer like experiences um, as they've taken, you know, many um, things from the, the more traditional space to apply that to their business. So it's just a matter of, Kind of the dna and, and where you started from but i think that um the, the tech world is obviously fast moving um and and you know you're you're always um iterating and, and i think that the traditional space it's much more mature and so it's more so um blocking and tackling and executing the day-to-day -day, which is always necessary to run the business but you have to think about how you can plan for the future and and um differentiate moving forward Yep, that makes sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, we mentioned this uh, early on, on the uh, uh, overall manufacturing supply chain and some of the challenges uh, that, that exist now, you know, even even before COVID-19 and, and what's what's happening. Um, and which processes or technologies do you perceive are, are disrupt, disrupting the supply chains the most? Yeah, so I think that, you know, you look at the pandemic and that really exposed a lot of things, but the things that were exposed may have been in the making for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and so we had built dependency and reliability on supply chains that have a lot of risk in them. And we don't have a lot of visibility and transparency and the slack in the supply chain allowed for the inefficiencies. Well, there was no slack um, once the pandemic hit and kind of the world shut down for a little bit and we had to figure out. And then um, in our business specifically, demand picked up pretty rapidly, um, but wasn't necessarily supported by the supply chains and production to feed it. Uh, so I think that, you know, the biggest thing is 
And I think we're still in the early stages of that. I mean, you know, you still hear about port congestion or you still hear about the chip issue for automotive. And, and um, I think that we're, you know, still resolving um, a lot of these things. There was a lot of offshoring that happened over the last 30 years. And it's not a one size fits all. You know, it's a global market, but then some things need to be domestic and some things make sense to trade. Um, but the biggest thing is reliability. I think that we need to prioritize reliability, which is total cost versus price, um, especially here in America in terms of um, making sure that we can be you know, self-sufficient in terms of uh, our supply chains. And then two is visibility. I think that a lot of companies in the industrial supply chain, you know, they look at their business as proprietary and um, it's theirs and their data is theirs and only they can, you know, control that. And I think that the lack of visibility across the global marketplace and the domestic park marketplace um, has created a lot of these inefficiencies. And so I think that's what we could solve for with technology is, you know, greater visibility. I actually think that, you know, that is true, you know, value add. I mean, there's a lot of technology out there today that I question of whether or not it's making us more productive or it's consuming our time, but not necessarily driving productivity and 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 good things um, in society. Uh, but I think that in the you know industrial supply chain, it can. I think that visibility um, can can help in terms of um, make sure that we don't have some of the issues and the dependencies that um, have shown over the last uh, year and a half. I interviewed Rosemary Coates, who uh, heads up the Reshoring Institute, and she indicated that this move to a more solvent supply chain could take two to three years. And that was I, I actually interviewed her before the pandemic, and but she said even with swift action, it was it would take that long. I mean, how difficult do you think it would be to move manufacturing back to the U.S.? And is it? I, I mean, based on your earlier comment, doesn't seem as if it it all has to come back here. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think it didn't happen overnight in terms of how we got to where we are today in terms of the amount of offshoring. And I've always thought that if you could make it here where you're consuming it, you should do everything you can to make it here. Um, and that doesn't mean that it can't be made somewhere else too. And hopefully consumption in those markets grows to consume its own products. So, you know, those that have offshored, um, ideally, you know, if you're making it in China, then consume it in China, um, unless you can't make it here. Uh, and there's true reasons why. Um, but in the manufacturing world, you know, I think that America was built on um, industrialization and manufacturing, and we've gotten away from that. And I think that we have to go back towards that. Now, do we have to go back to where we were when we started? No, we don't go backwards, we go forwards. But we can use the tools that we have available today to be able to do that. But I think that happens over time. Um, I think that, you know, you got to start. And, and so companies need to be thinking about, okay, where, where am I manufacturing and how am I making sure that I have um, reliable, you know, supply chains. And, you know, the, the talent side is, is a huge one too, because, you know, here in America, from a staffing perspective, we haven't necessarily built our, our future um, manufacturing environment that we need to. And, and those jobs are, are critical jobs. And they shouldn't be looked at as kind of secondary jobs. They should be looked at as, you know, primary jobs, no different than the, the, the other jobs that are, are being pushed into the market. So I think, you know, just rebuilding that whole thing is going to take some time, um, but you got to start. And so uh, I think that starting, you know, to, to hear more about 
um, bringing things back on shore and, and pushing more for, you know, manufacturing. I think that'll lead to industrial innovation. I think the other thing is we got to make those jobs, you know, more attractive. I mean, they're great jobs. They're, they're consistent jobs and um, not everyone is made to step behind a computer and, and um, be on zoom calls all day or, or be keystroking into spreadsheets. So I think we have to recognize that it's not a one size fits all. And um, we need to, to rebuild manufacturing in that way. Some in our audience may see, you know, automation and other technology improvements as replacing workers. Uh, however, you've, you know, added 225 employees to the uh, Nucor Steel plant in Arkansas. You know, what types of investments uh, are, are you referring to uh, in recruiting the next generation of industry workers? Yeah, so um, we're actually building right now on on New Course Campus in Arkansas with plans to ramp that up over a, a period of time and, and add people um, to that as well as that'll be kind of our new flagship service center location when it comes to distribution, processing, manufacturing, and automation. Um, and I think automation is critical because you know there are certain jobs today that are tougher to fill, and so I think that automation help solve for some of those things that look, if, if it can be done through automation, um, then I think that that's a, an added uh, strength into um, the manufacturing sector to make sure that we can continue to manufacture in the future. I also think though that with automation comes new opportunities. And so I think that um, new opportunities will and have um, been created from that. I mean. If people think of, you know, Amazon as, you know, the the leader in terms of um, innovation and automation, I mean, they're also the largest employer um, today. So, you know, I think that um, uh, as long as you have uh, the ability to critically think and 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 experience to understand something, um, then there's there's always a place to 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 work and and innovate um, from. So, I think that automation. Um, does have the re- the ability to re- replace certain things, but then also create new opportunities. So, um, you know, that's how we look at it is we want to automate where we can so that we can put the people in a place to be more impactful in terms of the value that they bring um, to the organization. And what skills will be needed for this new age of, of steel industry work? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that when you look at... Um, majestic today i mean if you came into you know our company you would recognize that there's a, a lot of different skill sets that we've attracted beyond what you would typically see in in the steel space and so not all the work happens in the plant obviously it can't get done without the plant um we need to physically be able to receive product and 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 manage um within the plant environment and be able to service customers but i mean there's roles in in technology there's roles in in marketing there's roles in supply chain so you know we kind of touch all of those things i mean finance legal all all the different things that that impact business and then even with the plant environment um you know when it comes to engineering and when it comes to safety and sustainability when it comes to process efficiency and um bringing in uh technical people with an operational focus to think i mean i was walking through our plant yesterday and we were talking about some of the things that we still do and and how can we um you know innovate in terms of uh how we're we're stacking our pallets and and making sure that we're getting as much throughput so um i think there's you know 
there's a ton of opportunity in a lot of different places. It just depends on, you know, the, the focus and, and, um, the, the individual in terms of where they, they see they, their skill set apply the best. Todd, what's next for Majestic Steel? Our vision is focused on growth and innovation. Our mantra is to keep building. Um, it's to keep building Majestic as well as to keep building um, across the entire supply chain. You know, we sell into construction and we sell into manufacturing. And so we want our customers to focus on building. Um, growth is huge. You know, we can't stop. Um, doing that. That's what's made this country and will continue to make this country. And that's what makes the the, the world go around and the economy work. So um, for Majestic, it's continued uh, focus on growth and innovation. It's expanding our footprint to lower our cost to serve and better service our customers. It's investment in talent and technology to continue to innovate. It's to bring new ideas to the steel supply chain to modernize that. Um, and so that's the focus. I mean, and then, you know, looking at how we can continue to um, add value. Fantastic. Thank you, Todd, so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and uh, good talking to you today.